Welcome to the Worship Central Podcast. We are passionate to see the worship and creativity of churches throughout the world set on fire. Join us as we explore what this might look like. Hello, welcome to the October episode of the Worship Central Podcast. Here we are gathered together again and we have got a great episode ahead of us. I, myself, am really looking forward to listening to it. You are. Wow. So, yeah, we're going to do part two kind of of the live chat from last time, looking at this time spontaneity in worship and the tension between that and structure and liturgy. So we're looking at our event called Kingdom Come and why we do it and what we do in it with herbs. We've also got a song feature, as always, um, looking at the song Greatness, which is a good song we're using in church. We've got a guest interview. I managed to get some time with Dr. Amy Orr Ewing, which was a, a great so conversation. A fellow doctor. A fellow doctor, oh. that's right. <laughs> Not a reverend doctor, though, is she? Uh, but no, but, you know, anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Luke. <laughs> Do you watch doctors? <laughs> So that's going to be a great conversation yeah. to be a fly on the wall with. Is it? So, well, yeah, look listen out for that. that. We've also got, as always, the bridge with herbs looking at songwriting. Right. So lots to come. Get your cup of tea ready and a biscuit. Here we go. Last month in live chat, we were looking at liturgy and set lists. And Nick Drake was talking about liturgy and this idea of liturgy being a pattern, something that we do regularly, um, habitually, but also it being the work of the people, something that is uh, that people participate in. And that this month for our live chat, we're going to look at much more the sort of spontane- spontaneous, prophetic expression of worship. And particularly, Nick Herb is going to talk about Kingdom Come, something we do at church. And uh, Kingdom Come effectively is we just gather to pray, to worship. There is no plan. There is no kind of set uh, liturgical expression, if you like. And uh, one of the challenges of that could be, well, if, if you never have a plan, if we just sing different songs every time we gather together to pray and worship, um, do you miss out on the important thing of a liturgical expression, which means we're singing about the story, the truth of who God is, um, which is why I think we've, we've tried to move to a place where Sundays we have planned, we have thought through our sets, we do want to create space with the Spirit, but we are thinking about songs that are uh, cross-centered, that talk about the, as much as we can the wholeness, richness of who God is. But we've also found it's incredibly important and exciting to create spaces within our expression of worship as a church where we can gather together, tear up the rule book, as it were, and say, who knows what's going to happen next? We're going to create space for people to bring their own songs. And it might be we get to the end of the worship set and we've not sung about the cross or we've not sung about the Trinity. But actually, in the context of a diet of worship, we feel it's a really important part. Oh, that's good. Um, so anyway. Someone get this guy a microphone. <laughs> Herbert, why don't you talk about Kingdom Come, what we do, how you set it up and prepare it. And then it'd be interesting just to hear from others mm. about how we feel it's blessed our worship as a church. Yeah, well, I think um, what, as you said, I mean, from time to time, we're just trying to stretch ourselves spiritually um, just to really not stay inside the lines and, and say, God, what do you want to do? Can you say we're trying to lunge ourselves We're trying to lunge ourselves <laughs> into, wow. the the liturg- our into the liturgy lunge. of the Spirit of God. <laughs> and, um, what? And, and, and I think... Nick Drake be- is shaking his head right <laughs> now. 
Well, they've been really exciting times where we gather the church together, loads of people show up, we get the band sort of off the stage in the round. And I, I sort of frame these evenings by saying, uh, firstly to the musicians, look, what I want you to do is wait upon the Spirit of God tonight. The only rule is you're not going to play any song that we've ever heard before. <laughs> it's not worship karaoke. You're not sort of going to bring out Here I Am to Worship. And um, It's the only negative about that. In that moment. <laughs> Uh, and, and I think the, the point the is to really... the only time that song isn't sung at Gastry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me, talk about liturgy at Gastry. Yes. We all love these nights It is so forming much. and shaping people. People are desperate for this night. But, um, <laughs> but, but essentially, it's to really help the musicians and the singers to reach beyond um, just being sort of drip-fed what they're meant to do. I mean, let's face it, in worship these days, you know, We've given tracks, we've given songs, you know, you can stand there and pretty much mime, mm. almost. And this is a moment to say, can you? You know what? Uh, why don't we actually dig in to yeah. what the Spirit of God's doing? What's he wanting to unearth in the moment, the mm. freshness, the newness of the Spirit mm. of God? Yeah. Um, that sense in the early church of, you know, anything could happen in the moment. There's all sorts of spiritual activity going on. Um uh, and I would frame it with a few guidelines for everyone else who's joining the journey. So not just for the musicians then, I'd say to everyone else, you know, this is about actually seeking to stretch yourself, to move on from where you are, um, to not stay where you are in worship. But if someone has a song, if someone has a melody, if there's a drum beat, that we all jump on board, we seek to go on that journey, we seek to follow that roller coaster of wherever it's going. And sometimes as well, if we played an E minor for 45 minutes, um, we might reset it, you know, and just say, actually... Explain that, the reset, because I think that's been a really... Well, I think as well, sometimes when you do spontaneous stuff... uh, what I've found is that even within that, you can sanitize it and get quite stuck in a pattern because it's taken quite a lot to actually be spontaneous. Mm. And I think we're finding actually the challenge is what do you do after that? You know, what's yeah. the next? How do you break it? How do you write a whole song in that moment? Um, <laughs> how do you uh, write a whole song in that moment? How do you press on in? So I think there'll be times when we might get stuck in a pattern, might be singing in E minor, you know, a battle song for 45 minutes is a bit like, yeah, we all know that God can <laughs> defeat his enemies. So I'll just step in and say, that's great. We've gone on the journey. Let's stop. We're going to yeah. wait again. We're going to ask the spirit of God to come again. We're going to reset. We're going to do something different. Uh, and I think they've been great evenings. They've been awkward evenings. They've been exciting evenings. We've uh, seen God release loads of stuff, but coming back to liturgy, you know, liturgical conversation, uh, we don't necessarily sing about all the themes. We don't necessarily sing about the cross on those evenings. Sometimes that can be a real focus, but at other times it can be about the spirit of God moving and we're singing, you know, we want to see a breakthrough. We want to see the walls come down or whatever. And actually I've discovered as I've reflected on these evenings that there's something amazing about that, that phrase, you know, Jesus said out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm. And it's an amazing way of kind of gauging what we actually feel, what we believe, what the Spirit of God is unearthing in us in a moment for a church uh, at a particular um, point on its journey. Um, To find out what we want to sing about in those moments when we don't have structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think quite often we do sing the songs about breakthrough. We do sing the songs about pressing for more no more fear stepping out and i think that's because embedded right at the heart of this spiritual exercise and journey 
is actually this sense of our um, broken humanity that you know is somehow um, woven into this story of we're singing these songs, but uh, actually we we realise our limitations within this, and God, we're asking you to meet us in this moment mm. to push us on. So is it? As Pete Gregg says, is it everything? No, but is it nothing? What does he say? Something. <laughs> is it something? It is something. You better believe it. You better believe it. You nailed that. And I think, um, and and I think that's a good way of summing it up. And, you yeah. know, it, we're just seeking to go yeah. on that journey. It, it's yeah. not the whole deal. Um, and I think the danger for us is even that within that, as we seek to follow the Spirit of God, we can so easily, as I've said make that now the formula. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. And the second yeah. we find a success in anything where we're stepping into more of who God is, I've noticed for myself and, and, you know, maybe churches or whatever, but we can somehow seek to make that the pinnacle of the experience as opposed to suddenly realizing, hang on, God's moved on. He's doing something else. Or yeah. does it even become liturgical? Oh, I was or, just, well, what yeah. I was going to say was, I think, um, We've seen such fruit from these nights, uh, you know, in our in our church. And I think for, for those who are really hungry to engage with God in spontaneous in space, mm. it's really bled through into our Sunday meetings, you know, from. So I think we've seen the journey where now when we would leave space in our worship sets, people know what to do because, you know, they've had this space away from a Sunday where there's, you know, less pressure, less visitors, all that stuff, to really dig into that stuff. I suppose my deeper question is, is it actually liturgy, which is kind of what you've just said, Luke, because, well, it'd be good to, to dig into it because we are forming people, like Nick will always set it up really well. And, and in a sense, in what we're doing, we're trying to form people in what it means to be spirit-led or to engage with God in the moment. And also... Could it be, could it like develop its own passion or does it sort of develop its own pattern that's um, maybe slightly different every week, but it's, there's still some sort of loose pattern with it. Um, yeah, you mean, know, even the fact that we would say to the musicians, okay, you, I want you to listen to the spirit. And if you sense something, then start, you know, even is that setting a pattern? I don't know. And I've heard you say, for example, where you're so good at setting it up and you you make people feel at ease. And one of the things that yeah. you said before is, um, you know, enter any level you want, but also um, imagine that um, you don't want to be anywhere else doing anything else with anyone else, right? Yeah. And, and, and even that phrase is forming someone because if they approached our corporate worship times, say on a Sunday, which is more, say, liturgical, um, if they brought that same approach you would 100% be seeing more formation in worship um and you know deeper hunger level expectation faith all those things that we long to see in our congregations as worship leaders so i don't know it's but kind of a you also need to think and this is where i think these have been really significant mm. for our church and shaping culture is you, you've got to think not just the sort of week to week formation it's the across a year within a yeah. church and so i think the fact that these we probably do them once twice a term that within our annual calendar there are these moments where we're coming together and i think they're massively forming and shaping yeah. people in terms of I, th I think one of the big things they do is they create space for mess mm. And for, 
and I think that's an important part of worship, messy worship, that I think often if it's too controlled, you you know, you lose some of that, create space for risk, which is important. Um, what would you say, Drake? What, how else have you seen it shape? Well, what, what I was going to say was I think um, what they're amazing at is releasing people their voice into the room. Yes. Because the, the, it's like an open mic mm. in a sense. So anyone get up. And and if the glory of God is a human fully alive, which is St. Irenaeus's phrase, then there's something about a person putting their voice in the room that is yeah. unique and is their particularity mm. and is this fusion of God's spirit in them and their own uniqueness as as the person they are. Brilliant. That releases something. And on a normal Sunday... We, we can only do that with a certain number of people's voices, yes. right? Whether that's through songwriters of contemporary songs, like th- they've captured their voice mm. and the spirit of God in a song. And sometimes we refer to that as anointing, discuss. But that is released in the room when mm. we re-perform their song, yeah? Or set liturgy, we're re-performing a song in a sense. Someone's written, you know, grandma's yeah. written down the Church of England's liturgy, for example, and we're re-performing it. Yeah. But on a kingdom come, it's like any voice could be performed into the room in this fusion of God and them. And that releases something fresh and is really powerful. And I think for me, that's a really exciting thing. Um, so in that sense, aren't you then in the moment curating or forming a liturgy? Yeah. And inviting participation, which is part yeah. of your definition yeah. of liturgy. Yeah, yeah. When, it, when it works well. And that's the thing. I think as long as one is fine with the mess, i.e. the moments it doesn't work, then there is great fruit to be had in, in those moments when it does. Like the last one we did... Uh, one of the at, at the the week event that we do, one of the delegates whose name was Joy, one of the best moments when she sang this song about Joy. Yeah, and we, and we didn't even a lot of us didn't know her name was Joy in the first place. But you know that's a really good example of what we're talking about here. Someone yeah. just having a space and platform to just release into mm. the room who they are. Mm. Now they found themselves in God. I think the practical question that I'd want to ask off the back of that though is. Um, you know, if you're not used to this, if it's not part of your culture DNA in terms of worship in your church, um, maybe you just, it, it could be more liturgical, but it could just be that, uh, you know, you're not so um, used to the things of the spirit and movement of the space um, in times of worship. How do you introduce some of this into your system, your culture of worship, you know, on a Sunday, but also just in general as a culture? Yeah. I mean, maybe this is a question for you, Tim, as well as lead pastor hat on. Yeah, no, great question. Because I, I, I think on a Sunday, you know, I know I'm thinking and even worship pastor, you've got all these non-Christians coming along. You've got people who are brand new Christians. You know, everyone's got a slightly different yeah. understanding. They're a different level. Um, and so to suddenly kind of stop everything, you know, anyone who's got a song, begin to sing it out. You know, it's a big thing to do. Yeah. And I, I, I've always found it helpful that I think there are some things that... Um, you need to start on the fringes. We used to call it the radical fringe. And so I, I think these kingdom come things are a bit like that. You kind of, we've done them often on a Tuesday night, invite people who want to come. So people come kind of knowing they're stepping into something a bit different. Yeah. And, but what we found is as we've created space for that, I think Anna, you alluded to this, it's began to massively shape Sundays. So that actually on a Sunday, we find there is a bit more spontaneity that maybe the worship leaders feel a bit more confident just to move away from the set list. Or even we've had times with people who we know have come up and said, I think I've got a song. And yeah. I guess we then discern whether it's right to release that. Um, so, so I think the best thing to do 
is if, if you'd love to sort of step into this, why don't you have a night, maybe for the worship team. Again, at HDB, we used to do this loads, we still do it here, just with the worship team and create space for this kind of thing where you can set it up as Herbs does brilliantly. You look, might be mistakes, we're just going to have fun, not going to take this too seriously and just see what begins to unfold. Uh, but but I think that the other thing is there's something about being really bold, courageous in our worship. And I think these nights do yeah. that. This wholehearted, I'm going to step out. I might look a fool. It's a bit, I, th- I think it's a bit like David dancing in his linen ephod before the Ark mm. of the Covenant. I'll be even more undignified than that. Yeah, I think it's a good question to ask. Where are those moments in my expression of worship, our church's expression of worship, where you feel a bit exposed and you, know, you feel like, I'm going to be undignified? And that I think these nights have really helped people to own their worship. So final tiny question off the back of that, Herbs, this one is for you. Um, what do you do then if, if you're listening to this going, oh yeah, but what if things go wrong and it's really messy? How do I deal with that? Uh, Herbs, you're brilliant at that. What's, what's your advice? I think you have to be quite pastoral in the moment and help people understand um, what is actually going on and just diffuse things with humour. You know, and I think that's what we do quite a lot is just recognize that actually in the middle of this intensely wild spiritual extravaganza, it's okay (laughs) to suddenly say, how's everyone doing? Are we all right? You know, let's just chill out a little bit. And that went horribly wrong, you know, but um, that's okay. We're trying to step into that. And people love that, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, And I think that that is the key for this stuff. The, The other thing I'd say is if you wanted to put this on in your church, I think it's really important. Um, Put, put an end time on it, you know. Yeah. I think people come along to nights like this if they've never done it before and they think, oh my gosh, is this going to go on to 11 p.m.? <laughs> yeah. And I think the, the key is you said, we're starting at half seven, we're going to finish at nine, you know, an hour and a half, we're going to just explore something with God and then we're going to go home, yeah. you know, and watch Midsummer Murders. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, something, it's something like that, rock you know. and roll. Rock and roll wow, with wild God. Night. Have fun, do a kingdom come. (laughs) Brilliant. So here's greatness. Why don't we check this out? Oh, 
that's the new song Greatness on Luke and Anna's latest album. So tell us about the song, guys. Yeah, so this song started actually at a songwriting retreat that we had, I think it was a couple of years ago now, and it's um, myself, Luke, a guy called Jimmy James, and a guy called Mark Valance who wrote it together. And I think the idea, you know, is that we just wanted to paint the, the big picture of God again. I think, you know... We, we can never stop singing about the greatness of God. There's just so much to explore, so much to sing. Um, and trying to capture it actually in a song can, can be challenging. But I think in what we're doing in this song is trying to um, capture the juxtapositions the whole time. You know, so one of the lines is the greatness of our God, but found in every corner of my heart. You know, the, this idea that God created everything, painted the stars, and yet he knows um, our innermost being. So that's the kind of idea of the song. That's amazing. Um, and what, one of the things I think love about the song is the, the bridge. And I think it's got a real message, actually, that's been particularly resonating with our church and maybe some of the themes that we're experiencing church. Do you want to just tell us a bit about the lyrics? And Yeah, the lyrics for the bridge are, um, whose heart is for the broken, who calls the orphan chosen, whose love will stand forever, Jesus. One name commands creation, one name resounds in heaven, one name will stand forever, Jesus. And I think what we're trying to capture here is... Um, just, I guess, the the wide expression of our worship. You know, we've talked a lot about revelation and response, um, encounter and formation, like this sense that actually it's when we, um, I think Matt Redman talks about this, you know, when you face up to the glory of God, you fall face down in worship. And I think what we're trying to get out in this bridge is this is who, like, this is who God is. This is, we want to present his greatness. Um, and so often... I guess in, in songwriting, like the bridges are like a little bit of a departure and it definitely feels like that in this song, but it's all really like pouring petrol on this fire of like, this is the greatness of God. Like whose heart is for the broken? It's God. Like who calls the orphan chosen? And it's Jesus' love that we um, connect with. Like this is the greatness of God. And so, I mean, the bridge was actually a really fun part of the song to write because it felt mm. like this like overflow of worship bubbling up. This is the greatness of God and you know, boom. So it was a really fun song to be a part of. Yeah, I love that. And I think that those kind of phrases, that kind of language, quite hard to fit into a song and just make it land in the right way. Mm. But somehow in that bridge, it just lands. It just says something beautiful that we read about, we know about in scripture, but it's beautiful to sing it. So mm. great job guys, great job with greatness. Check it out. <laughs> Up next is the guest interview with Dr. Amy or Ewing. Well, hey, it's Nick Drake here, and I'm really excited to have with me Dr. Amy or Ewing. Very exciting to have you with us. Thank you. Great here. to be here. Great in Birmingham. Uh, you're Senior Vice President of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries and um, Co-Director of Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. Yeah. Uh, married to Frog. Yes. Um, and run a church, Latimer Minster. So tell us a little bit, first of all, just about your ministry with Ocker in particular. Um, what's going on in this season? What's yeah. God up to for you? Wow, loads is going on actually. Um I have been working in this this ministry, so working as an evangelist, apologist, um, teaching and speaking all over the world. I've been doing that for 21 years. Wow. Clearly I was Amazing. 11 when I started, <laughs> not aged at all. Um, and so it, it's we've had an amazing season of growth. We've seen um, ministry established in multiple Middle East and African countries led by um 
people who've come through our centre in Oxford and they're all pioneering evangelistic ministry into universities and um, governments and businesses in their nations. So one of my roles has been kind of leading that movement. Um, and I've just, yeah, just transitioned to this more global role, not so much focused on Africa, Middle East and, and Europe, and now um, focused more broadly. But we've had a really exciting breakthrough um, in Oxford. Yeah. So our office um, in Oxford, we've had it for, I think, eight or nine years. And um, we bought it about eight or nine years ago. We've been there for 21 years, but had this breakthrough eight, nine years ago where we got our own physical building and we were really able to expand the OCA, have more students coming. Just, I think, a deeper breakthrough in their lives as well and the calibre of people. And um, we've been praying that we could expand. We're sort of absolutely growing out of out of the building. So next door to us in Oxford, the house, which is also behind our property, was owned by... Um, really Britain's leading atheist of the 1980s, a guy called Desmond Morris, who was a professor at, at Oxford and wrote The Naked Ape, which was like the God delusion for the 80s right. and early 90s. And he actually discipled Peter Singer and Richard Dawkins wow. on a sofa in that very house. So it's been the kind of intellectual home and epicentre for that kind of atheism, that materialistic worldview. Um, so amazingly... Uh, just this week the sale has gone through and we've been able to to purchase that property so our lecture theater training the next generation of global evangelists will be in his house amazing which just feels like really really amazing amazing also it's the place where the oxford english dictionary was written and the telephone was invented so it kind of feels like god is um is bringing us into a new season mm. and that 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 feels quite prophetic and how do you see the role of um i mean that's amazing to hear and that's the lord of the breakthrough though yeah. isn't it he's just far more than we can ask or yeah. imagine but you yeah. could never imagine that happening no. H- how do you see the, the role of worship uh relating to the work that you guys yeah. do and breakthrough moments like that yeah. what's the role of worship for you? well the first thing we did was go and worship in the house right and it was interesting because in conversation with him during the sort of process of negotiation he quite often heard our students worshiping he wow. said wow well, had the choir in today <laughs> we're like no that's just worship as in sung worship yeah. um but i guess Certainly in a breakthrough moment like that, a declaration of God's praise and presence, his goodness, um, mm. his authority. And it's such a symbol of um, of the gospel being true, despite mm. all of the things that are, are, are thrown at the Christian faith. I think for us as a team, worship and prayer are really integral to, to um, our experience of, of, of being community and team together. Because we quite often find ourselves going to hostile places. So, you know, I might be speaking at Goldman Sachs mm. and presenting the Christian faith to super hardened bankers. Mm. Or, you know, we might be going to give a lunchtime talk at a university and then mm. taking questions and often p- people's aggression at religion and stuff. Yeah. So we are often... Um, outside of the comfort of the church. Mm. And so... Worship is a really, really significant part of our intercession, um, of remembering the purpose of what we're doing, because we're mm. not just trying to put bums on seats. We want to bring people to worship God and glorify him forever, yeah. eternally. Um, 
Yeah, so it's certainly very much part of our pattern and rhythm as a team um, and, and, and part of our thinking as well. Yeah. I mean, for me, there's a, a, a crossover point as well in terms of ideas I might be thinking about or struggling with. And I, I sense that um, the theology that we do is more often done in our singing than in our preaching. And so, um, for example, today we were talking a bit about the um, the conference we've been involved in, talking a bit about the struggles and challenges of materialism. So I think that an integral part of, of that engagement for Christians ought to be in our worship. We need to be struggling through some of the intellectual ideas Mm. as we sing, declaring truth over ourselves as well as our cities and yeah yeah. and it's interesting because um there's been a bit of talk in the in the kind of sung worship world at the moment about worship shifting atmospheres you know and the songs with that kind of word of atmosphere yeah in it and this idea that worship changes real life events in some way that our our praise and adoration can have a real life impact how how do you understand that theologically because i guess in in the work that you do, often there's a lot of rational debate going on, a lot of head-to-head yeah. battles. Yeah. Um, yes, although um, I think effective evangelism reaches the heart and the mind. So often your beginning point is right. is the mind and people are just so not open to the heart because they think it's a load of rubbish, it can't be true, it's manipulative bad things have been done in the name mm-hmm. of religion whatever their big question mm-hmm. is but we're going after the heart for sure mm. i mean in terms of of that sense of god shifting things as we worship i would understand that biblically and i think we see that in all kinds of places you yeah. see it in exodus when as miriam kind of prophetically leads out you see it in nehemiah that the completion of the wall the culmination of that whole book is worship sung worship on the walls and they're kind of triumphantly going around Mm. on it um you see that in the temple as the glory of god comes so it's definitely there in scripture this is not an unbiblical concept yeah i think sometimes the language that we use might be unhelpful so it might make people think oh are you talking about some sort of eastern aura or something weird and mystical happening no we're talking about god as the bible says inhabits the praises of his people so something shifts something happens as we praise as we declare truth as Mm. we welcome his presence Mm. and we often feel that and see it as we sing Mm. may it may be happening at other times and and it's like the veil between our recognition of that happening and it happening is is sort of removed sometimes as we sing right so it's a discipleship moment and a kind of revelation moment as well um yeah it's it's an integral part of every mission every event we do would be prayer and worship seeking breakthrough fantastic yeah and and just uh, just to go on on again to this idea of the heart and the mind because i'm really fascinated by the power of song because it has this power to affect us holistically yeah right and 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 when you put words to rhythm and melody yeah that they go deeper in some way yeah than just speech does yeah you know and absolutely what what's your thinking on that i mean then one of the uh, theologians i've been reading james k.a smith and maybe some of our listeners have been reading on worship um from the states he talks about you know we're not just heads on sticks yeah. and there's been this mistake yeah. you know that we've had to come through of just we're just heads on sticks as people yeah 
What are your thoughts on on that and that holistic idea of Christian living and worship in the world? Yeah, I I think that's... I probably want to make a couple of of, um, points on that. I think the the sense of... of, um, of God seeing us as whole people is very much a concept that we see in the Old Testament. Um, the Hebrews talked about the stomach as the heart. It's the seat of the emotions, but also of the mind. Like those two things were not separated in right. Hebrew thinking. And so in some ways it's a false dichotomy. And psychology actually tells us that as mm-hmm. well. Our emotions and our thinking are really, really tied together. The Bible yeah. got that before Freud. but um, And so I think it's it's helpful for us to know that and the power of truth over struggling emotions. So um, you see that in the Psalms all the time. Incidentally, we also see that rival worldviews use the power of music to try and dominate as well. You see that in the Old Testament with um the pressure in the book of daniel on um on those 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 young teenagers to bow to the statue and um the idea is bow to materialism bow to the worldview of this babylonian empire and music was used to coerce that so in the bible i think you see the power of music actually in both directions that um as we worship god heart and mind come together um, but we're also sort of warned about it too. Um, and, you know, the New Testament talks about the mind as a as a battleground, even for Christians, that, um, you know, that the threat in spiritual warfare is that we're taken captive by ideas, ideas mm. that are wrong, have a sort of power. Mm. So we resist those in worship too. So what would you say to songwriters, budding worship leaders, musicians about that com? combining word and yeah. spirit in what we do. Yeah, I mean, interesting that you use the, the image of the head on a stick because I don't think, I mean, I sort of inhabit, I guess, the more evangelical, charismatic wing of the church, but I don't think that's the danger in our worship that there's too much head. Right. In a way, the corrective we might need to be looking at is a greater depth, both in theology, so a greater depth of of Christology, who Christ is and the, the complexity of who he is, the saviour that we worship, who's king and servant, who, you know, there are all, there's all sorts of images we could explore there. Um, but also I think the complexity of the world that we're worshipping in and to be aware of the ideological challenges that Christians are facing. So it may be the we're surrounded by people who follow another religion who deny the trinity and so it would be helpful in our worship to deeply reflect on how god is father son and spirit and what that actually means and how that's biblical um or it may be that we're surrounded by a more kind of materialistic worldview or utilitarian or totally pragmatic people and things are just means for our own productivity and success. So how we defy that with beauty and, um, you know, the transcendence of God for his own sake. So I would love to see a greater, um, studiousness is the wrong word, but I think a greater sense of responsibility that songwriters have over um, how what we sing shapes 
sort of outworking of the Christian faith in our daily life and to take responsibility for what the challenges are in the culture. So one of the things I was talking about today was um, how the Bible kind of names the really evil experiences that people have, including human trafficking in the mm. book of Esther. Mm. And so we we meet, we encounter a teenage girl who was trafficked and sexually oppressed mm. and her story is important. Now, that story resonates today because so many people, I mean, one in three women apparently in Britain have had some kind of experience of wow. abuse. Right. Um, so... What is our worship saying about who God is in that kind of suffering? Mm. You know, can we be exploring God as judge, God as good, darkness and light, etc.? Um, so, yes, to to profoundly reflect on, you know, a, a deeper, more biblical picture of who God is. So, what we are singing is not just banal about God and boring and too simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that what we sing and the songs that we sing are relevant to the challenges that we face. So there's a sort of defiance. There's a a, a kind of almost a spiritual warfare as yeah. we sing truth in the face of lies that are afflicting us. Yeah, and that's very interesting because we're seeing <laughs> singing used as a resistance movement yeah. activity, aren't yes. we? Like the stuff in Hong yeah. Kong recently, yeah, exactly. part of South Africa it was there. You know, this yeah. idea that there's something. But what do we need to resist? Right. Yeah. What do we need to resist, and how do we not just kind of be in a denial yeah. about the world state yeah. and use worship to to yeah. resist and confront? And bring freedom. And bring freedom, yeah. yeah. And One, truth does that. Yes, yeah. One last question, yeah. if I may. So you you admit to me earlier that you, you've been a sung worship leader. Oh, gosh, right? yeah. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Um, so, and, but now, I mean, obviously you're still a worshipper and a worship leader in the broadest sense, yeah. but you're, you're a theologian. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people about theology and the importance of pursuing thoughtfulness mm. um being able to put into words our practices mm. how would you encourage those who are interested in doing more of that yeah um wow that's a really great question um i think put yourself in a position where you aren't just kind of reading interesting theology in books but you're actually under the word so when the Bible uses the phrase, the word of God, again, in the Hebrew culture, but also actually at the time of Jesus, there was a very, very little understanding of theology or Bible reading as I sit over a page of writing and in my head, I inwardly digest it. Right. That was nothing right. then, ever in the Old or New Testament. You always heard the word of God, either read by someone else, a voice. So the word of God was a voice or is a voice mm-hmm. in biblical thinking. Um, and so the role of kind of preaching and exposition um, and theology articulated and applied rather than just kind of very theoretical and abstract. So I think I would encourage someone who wants to go go deeper in that to get yourself into a position where you are hearing the word on fire through your ears, not just reading it. Mm. And now because of, you know, um, podcasts and recordings and stuff, we can do that more easily than when you used to only be able to get it from, you know, what you could get locally. Um, 
So find streams and seams of that and also do that outside of your own comfortable culture zone and not just America. Mm. You know, let's hear what is the Chinese church saying? What Mm -hmm. is the African church saying? Mm -hmm. What about, you know, there's a massive move of God amongst um, Iranians and, you know, people coming to know Mm -hmm. Christ from there. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Amy. It's been such a pleasure to have you Thank here you with us. Thank you for having me. Much. Thanks. Thanks. One of my favourite moments of the episode, take it to the bridge. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> no, really excited this week. I want to say a little bit about co-writing. And oh. my thought is, um, it's called Follow the Favour, but it, it's around one of, I think, the hardest parts about co-writing uh, and I've experienced this many, many times. I'm sure anyone who's ever co-written has experienced this is, is you get in a room with maybe two other people. Here's the scenario. You start presenting a few ideas and people say, this is what I've been working on. Here's my voice memo. Here's my guitar idea. This is a scripture I've been thinking about. And then you sit there and you think, what on earth do we do now? How do we actually proceed and write a song and let's face it it's really really hard because there are so many things going on in this moment you know this sense of being super connected to the thing that we've bought and being vulnerable and being intimate in this moment with the things that we're seeing and singing about with God and bring them to other people Uh, but I think it's a really crucial moment where we need to learn to discern God's voice to follow the favour. So an example would be there are three of us in the room, we're writing song, presenting ideas, maybe two people, they bring an idea that's fairly similar around provision and the other person brings an idea about the holiness of God. But unless the idea about holiness is absolutely stunning and you're sensing this, Mm. that is incredible, we need to work on that. Probably in that moment you're going to go to the majority. You know, it happens to be Mm. there are three of you in the room, two of you have been thinking about the same sort of thing well, let's start there and just go down that road. Um, and, and, you know, the truth is it, it's hard this moment because it does involve some death. It does involve a moment of creatively mm-hmm. saying, actually, I'm going to shelve this idea for today. You know, maybe I bought it. It wasn't quite right. That's fine. I'm going to move it there. And some of us can do that better than other people. But the reason it's important is that you can then maximize the amount of time that you've got together to write that song. So follow the favor go with what is ever resonating in the room in that moment, vocalise it, express it, get stuck in, and then you can make the most of that time. I think one of the things that I find sometimes in co-writing though, Nick, is um, obviously it has never happened with you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, what what about when when things feel a little bit slower, maybe where you don't feel there's as much favour in the moment, whatever that means, but you know, that kind of like, ah, we're trying to figure something out here, even in that initial, like what idea are we going to go with? Like, cause you're brilliant at kind of keeping the energy going. Do you think it's primarily about that? Like just keep the pace up and. Yeah. I think that some of the most enjoyable writing times I've ever experienced are when there's an energy there, when there's that sense of, you know what, let's just hammer away at this thing. Let's just go for it and just see if we can chisel something out of a piece of granite that looks like nothing right now and just sculpt something. And that's going to take time. It's going to take energy and effort. And I think that is important. And and along the way, and this could be another thought later on, but um, there are going to be awkward moments. There are going to be moments of pause, moments where we're not quite sure. I think what I've learned though, 
is an attitude to go in with is to actually hold things quite lightly. Yeah. Mm. And to realize, you know what, today, this is a day we're going to write a song. We're going to come out of this room with a song. Mm. Um, it might not be the best song ever. It might not be. It could start something else for the future. But I think having that attitude and mentality is a really good, that kind of can do, let's mm. go for this. Let's yeah. try and create something. Otherwise, I think also we we sort of sort of have too much of an over-importance on what we're doing. Mm. Mm. And actually, the truth is we're not the best judge anyway. <laughs> Quite often with songs is we know all this stuff, but the songs that tend to rise to the top, always have something unique about them that no one else quite yeah. saw in that moment. So I think the best thing is to plan through, try and chisel it out. And then, and actually at some point in that session, it might be, you do have to shelve it and say so that actually helped get that out of our system. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly we've stumbled upon something else. Yeah. Um, mm. And I remember being in a session with some guys once where we worked for two hours on a song and it was quite hard work. We were just chiseling with the four of us in the room. And we got to the very end, probably we, had, we knew we had about 10 minutes left. And as we were starting to demo the song, the way someone sang this particular line, um, which was a kind of throwaway line, you know, halfway down the song, not, not a chorus line. Everyone's ears pricked up and went, that's the song <laughs> we are meant to be writing. So again, we followed the favour and literally yeah, cool. we ditched the other song <laughs> We'd worked on for two hours and for the last 10 minutes, we completed a song. No way. Because the favor of God wow. was on that moment wow. and in that yeah. moment. And wow. it kind of, you have to embrace the whole yeah. deal to find yeah. that. And we talked about that in one of these other bridge moments, but um, that's just the way it is. So Brilliant. trying to follow the favor. What an episode. <laughs> 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 that was so good. Um, I love that episode. That was great, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please do subscribe, rate us, tell your friends. Um, we hope it's a resource to you as teams as well. Yeah. Get in touch with any questions, comments, and um, we can't wait to see you next month, November. It's going to be a great month. Bye.